So, welcome to my parlor, said the spider to the fly. All right, yeah. <laughs> Completely unrelated to what we are going to talk about For today. Sure. So, today, I think our main goal here was to follow up on our talk about MI because we had a brief talk where we went over the origins of MI. I did more of like a lecture style thing on the different components of it. And during this time, You've been doing some training. Yes. You've been doing some training. I have. And you've also been working with colleagues on how to help them bring that skill set into their uh, practice. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I've been uh, continuing my training uh, with, uh, you know, uh, produced by uh, Bill Miller and uh, PsychWire is the training that I'm specifically Oh, I'm taking. on their email thread too. Well, there right? we go. Uh, so every, and then they're really good at advertising because it'll always say, dear Whiplow, we've got a great deal for you. And every time I read it thinking it's like a friend, and they are sort of a friend, <laughs> but they, they have all these big name all-stars yeah, sure uh, presenting these, they sure uh, and they're all accredited CMEs. And it's really, yeah, it's, absolutely. And it's a, it's a really well, uh, it, it's a really well produced um, uh, uh, Production uh, or education. I find it an easy learning. It's uh, you know, it's not something you kind of look away from. It's something you look into. So uh, like you look forward to. So uh, yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I did have uh, yeah, I did have a question about it, or not? May maybe it's an observation. Maybe it's a question where it's sort of where we're learning about trying to. Um, so I guess in the in the context of uh, uh, so. Uh, Bill does a uh, or uh, does a uh, does an interview with a with a mock client, and this is a it's a mock client mock client interesting okay. and she has uh, she has some alcohol uh, problems uh, or alcohol uh, use I should say not problems and um, she has been uh, sent to him because uh, she was arrested for a DUI uh, and it sort of a counts as a problem you sort know, of like counts I, as a, well to some. Interesting though, but she doesn't see it as a problem. No, but she might see the DUI as a problem. She sees the DUI as a problem, but more not related to the alcohol use. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, because she doesn't see herself as intoxicated. I, another very interesting uh, thing I learned out of that, which I didn't know, is that people with high tolerances blow high on. It doesn't change the uh, the the breathalyzer for them. Uh, yeah, yeah, so even if they can like uh, dominate a pool game or they could like uh, dominate a video game that has race car driving, yeah. uh, but their, their alcohol level might be a lot higher. Right, they would still fail the breathalyzer. Yeah, yeah of course, because yeah. yeah. it's the level in your body, not like how good you are at functioning. Right, so, uh, but, so she's, she's seeing him and, and uh, they're doing a, uh, you know, just sort of a... Uh, a 20-minute like I mean, interview? Yeah, about a 20-minute interview yeah. where they're doing an assessment and then... Um, uh, you know, not an assessment, just a sort of meet and greet, and uh, she agreed to see him kind of reluctantly, and um, uh, and then they go through what I think he called the uh, gosh, I'm going to forget the name, but something they used to do decades ago, where it was the uh, I don't know if it was called. I don't know Cage. No alcoholics assessment. They used to do free assessments for people that had to see if you had a drinking problem. He used oh, to run workshops for people. That, that's how he got clients, I guess, or, oh, or I didn't engagement. Know that. Yeah, oh, so it would be a free idea. workshop. You could come in and get this assessment. Okay. So he ended up doing this assessment, and I'm going to forget the name, but I'm going to put it in the in the yeah, chat yeah, no, here. Yeah, but I'd so love to learn it because yeah. I'm probably not doing it. And yeah, and uh, so and it includes blood work and includes a whole workup. Oh, then I definitely need it because I'm just like I've definitely <laughs> probably dropped the ball in the last few years. And um, you know, so I thought it, it was super interesting. And so you know, she goes through and does the, gets the liver results, gets these results, does some cognitive tests. And, and then they were sitting down looking at the results. So this is kind of, I'm kind of shortening up a three-week process to now he's reviewing the results with 
this individual. Oh, so so in this this session, he's already had two sessions yes. previously. Yes. And this is the third one where the person comes back and they're reviewing what the results. Reviewing the results of the blood work of the cognitive tests and. Oh, she, they did cognitive testing too. Yes, they did. Like memory stuff like yes. that. Yes. Oh, fascinating. Yes. This guy's good. Yeah, he is good. This guy's good. Definitely. Good for, yeah. And so, so my question is related to this kind of, this very nuanced dance, I'll call it, between the between Bill and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the client, right? Where, you know, he's now seeing hard results. There's hard results here on the table that shows- Evidence. Evidence. <laughs> evidence. Evidence. Right in front, yeah, evidence, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is evidence that this individual may have some impact from her substance use, from her alcohol. Yeah, yeah. And, and then she's there on the other side of the table trying to minimize it, trying to, you know, it's when he says, okay, well, it looks like you're drinking, and we do these you know, studies across America, across North America, and it says that you're in the kind of, in the top three percentile of alcohol use. Oh, it's pretty. So pretty she drinks heavy. a lot. Pretty heavy yeah. for women. And oh, that, for women. Okay. But then her, her response to that is, well, anyone else that fills out these questions would be being dishonest. Hmm. So it's, I'm not really the worst of, the, I'm not really in sure. that. Oh, she's just so honest, that's why she... Yes, it was her honesty that's counting against yeah, her. Sure, sure. And, okay, so that was the first thing. And then we got into some of the blood work. And where some of the blood work was like, okay, it looks like you're starting to show some signs that the alcohol is impacting, you know. And so now it got Im impacting your health. Right. And, and, you know, as we know, once it starts showing signs, it can speed up pretty quickly. Right. Okay. Um, but so, but she's trying to push him back on this. Okay. And uh, minimize these results now. Yes. So my question is related to kind of this dance where it's like, so motivational injury is supposed to be all positive. It's supposed to be all forward thinking, empowering and this. Now, where does it come in where, where he's trying to push back a little bit? and saying, no, actually these, you know, some concern in these results here. And it kind of, you know, it's, it's a little bit, it's a- it, it didn't feel like MI when you watched them. Like, oh, this is an MI. At that point, if you hadn't watched everything else, it didn't feel like MI. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that you have this patient that doesn't see a problem with their alcohol use. And every bit of evidence either that they say or they're presented with, they have, I'm going to exaggerate, but a million and one reasons why it's not a problem. Right. Uh, and as you were observing how Bill Miller went through the process, there came a point where he was more direct about the harms related to alcohol in a way that didn't feel MI-based. Right. And your question is, how does that fit with MI? Well, how does that, how do you do that dance? Because I, I see where he was going from. I mean, he can't. He can't follow down the path with her saying, yeah, you know what? I guess everybody else who fills out these surveys is lying. <laughs> and you're the only honest one in the room. Oh, okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. So you would almost want to validate almost everything she's saying. Well, that's instinctually the, the baseline of MI, of everything that you know, yeah, I've learned. Yeah, yeah. so it's just, just in terms of a twist to that, you have to validate things that you believe are authentic and true. Right. So, for example, like if somebody comes in and is angry, swearing, yelling, spitting, throwing things at people, I would not validate the fact or affirm the fact that they spit on someone, no. yelled at someone, threw at someone. 
What would I validate on them? Uh, you'd, you'd validate the fact that they're concerned, that they're here, that they're and present, they're, and they're, you'd and they're the angry. They're angry. Yeah. Yeah. You're really pissed off right now. You're so angry right now. Yeah. Anybody might be angry or would be angry in that For sense. For what you're experiencing. Yeah. You can't validate things that are just hurtful or harmful to others. You never validate that. Oh, it was just one DUI. Right. Right. Like you would never uh, validate that. And so, so I think like. Uh, I don't know, I think you brought up a great sort of question. And then if I had to come up with two or three teaching points, which is very not MI, because normal MI, what do I do? I would have you come up with all the reasons. And, and you know, when you go to a good MI training, you know it's a good MI training because it feels like the person instructing is doing nothing and you're doing all the work and figuring it all out. And you're like, what is this crap? He should be telling me or they should be telling me what's, what's going on. So, so basically, the, the dance is something that's really interesting. And in the past, uh, the, I don't know if they went over this in your trainings, there used to be something called the writing reflex. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you yeah, went yeah. over that as well. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And that's what, and so that's the, that's the, maybe the dance that I'm talking about. Is there's that, a line. Yeah, there's is a line. Is it the writing reflex? Is, you know, where are you doing that? Are you not doing that? Because you're seeing somebody who's obviously has some, some issues, right? And you want to help them. You, you want to write them. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, when we do our trainings uh, and the ones that you've been to, that you've seen, you've participated in, we sometimes talk about different philosophies of care. So we'll sometimes talk about a cognitive behavior therapy approach, an MI approach, motivational interviewing, or dialectal behavior therapy, and all of them have different languages. For this, I'll try to stick with the motivational interviewing language, right? And, and I think, I think uh, what you're noticing uh, is that he tried to be very careful around not contradicting what the person was saying, not using yes, but language. Yes, but your liver enzymes are high. Yes, but you have a legal thing. Yes, but this is a peer-reviewed study that has this evidence for you to be at that level. He didn't say any of those, uh, those no. things, right? And so in, in healthcare, um, they have a couple of adaptations to motivational uh, interviewing, right? And, and what are those? So one of them has to do with how we give advice. Because at the end of the day, I'm technically a medical expert. You're technically a, an expert of the area that you uh, you work in, and you're going to have some suggestions that the person may not have heard of. So, how do we do that in motivational interviewing? Yeah, how do when even when they're asked for right, where it's like, what do you like when she asks, what do you think? Are you really saying what you think? N not necessarily, right? Because she was asking for some input as well. So that kind of opened the door to you know, Great. and how do you not? fall in that writing yeah, so, reflex. So, in, and it's not, so, so one thing about motivational interviewing is that we try to avoid educating the person and we try to evoke the responses from them, right? So we try to get them to talk about all the reasons they want to change, all of those things that are there. And the magic occurs when the person says that, oh, this is a problem that I need to make a difference. In some cases, they may not have the evidence. They may not realize that a DUI is a pretty big deal, right? You know, it seems weird for us to say, or that these liver enzymes suggest that there's something really problematic going on. So in motivational interviewing training, they love acronyms, right? So what's a common acronym? They'll use EPE, so elicit, provide, elicit. So what somebody like me might do in that situation is can you uh, tell me what you've heard about some of the harms uh, or what are some of the signs when someone's drinking too much alcohol? Then you pause and you sort of wait, you ask for permission, would you be interested in hearing around what are some of those limits other people have decided is a problematic use? And if they say yes or they're asked permission, you know, you can sort of tell them that, you know, usually when there is a 
problems in terms of work life, social life, or personal life, then we start to think of alcoholism as a problem. You know, and I would argue uh, that the um, DUI is causing some kind of problem there in, in some kind of way. I would also share that just in terms of public health and public uh, epidemiology data, really once you get into the top 10%, you know, then you're looking at problematic and unhealthy drinking. So it's almost like um, if you wanted to give advice, that would be the way you do it. So you elicit, provide, elicit. And then the last elicit, E, is to ask them what they've understood about what you've, um, what you've said. Um, there's all these other tools in MI as well. I mean, I'd love to watch the video, right? Because we could almost even dissect it, right? And say that, oh, this is the skill he's using. This is this. This is where he veers off a little bit of MI, you know? Because yeah. uh, even with, with MI, you have to remember what Bill Miller did was he just described what he's doing as a therapist. You know, and then somebody else like, oh, this is a, said, oh, this is MI and, and all that stuff. But when he teaches on it, he's really just talking about Rogerian psychotherapy, right? He's not saying these are the core principles of MI. He's saying these are the philosophies sort of behind all of it. So I, I don't know if that covers it a little bit, but the fact that you could find that line, that dance that he was doing shows that you almost know where that line and the tension is, the room is. And you you can tell what the person is comfortable talking about and what they're not talking about. Right. And then the magic would happen if it's something, well, you know, maybe I need to find a way not to get another DUI, right? Or maybe I would need to find a way to, to get my license back or whatever that might be. So it's all, all this, this whole dance is, is in, intended to get the client, patient, uh, individual who's seeing you to, yeah. uh, to come to this conclusion wholly on their own if possible or yeah. as much on their own as yeah. possible and and if they ask for advice or permission then you can sort of give it right like uh so if they ask for it or you could ask for permission to share advice and right. then you'd be doing it in an mi uh kind of uh kind of way because you you can't just ignore the fact that you've had x years of experience working serving patients and you what is it now six seven years yeah right that you've been helping a patient's clients with all this kind of stuff you don't just discount that and pretend that all you know is what they're sharing with you right, right? and and other things that come up in motivational engineering for example uh, at some point you might have talked about the importance or confidence uh, interval right like how important is this for you how confident you are you right. can do it and for me, the second somebody has low, low confidence, it means one of two things. Either they've just been so detached from having success, they don't believe in self anymore. Or the other thing, which is more likely, they may not actually know the steps, right? So for example, um, when somebody wants to stop drinking, when somebody wants to get a job, when somebody wants to pass a test, some people know the steps, but other people don't. Right. And they actually, they need to hear those steps. Well, how do I do it? How do I stop drinking? We both had patients where they're shaking and sweaty all day and they don't know how to stop drinking. Right. Right? They don't realize this is physiological withdrawal and they should probably taper slowly or see a medical expert to get the meds, right? Right, so, right. So, yeah, so along that same line, so she was coming to conclusions of, well, you know, because some of the questions on this survey were, when's the last time you vomited because of drinking? In her case, she hasn't vomited for 20 years, right? So she's become very tolerant of it. And she did speak to her skill set saying that, you know, she could, she could dance, she could do anything after 10 beers that, you know, that most people would, you know, and, and she was trying to use those points as, see, I don't have a problem with alcohol. And it proves that I don't have a problem with it well, because I mean, it's not it affecting. she doesn't have a problem with vomiting. Or it proves that she has a high tolerance. Sure. Which also was one of the, his points saying, well, people with the highest tolerance sometimes have the most consequences. Oh, so what he was doing was he was actually going through the diagnostic criteria with yes. her just to see whether or not she had the diagnosis. Right. 
Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I've not done that with people before. No, no, because you, you've got the results. So, I mean, it, it is a three session. Uh, there, there's three sessions involved to get here, got right? You. And uh, but and, and and they take you all the way along. So it's, it was really oh, uh, this really is fascinating. fascinating. Yeah. I think I think I'm gonna have to go through those uh, videos and some of the training because I think uh, one of my problems is because we have patients that have been so much on the AA side, they've been accused of denial. They they just get really upset when they're told what to do. Right. I'm almost too much on the the patient side, and it sounds like Bill Miller has an approach where he's so welcoming to bring them in. Yes. But they know when they leave whether or not they've crossed some kind of line where alcohol is really damaging to what's right. there. And so he tries to get them to leave knowing that some expert thinks they have a diagnosis. Yes, and it was not, you know, it, it, he was very clear about and, and, and uh, you know, about saying, you know what, this, so she, she was actually sent in by her lawyer that's how it got in the lawyer because for the to defend oh, the DUI. Oh, because you have to show you're getting treatment. Well, you might have to. It might be useful. The lawyer said this might be useful, but he also said he said I just work for you and your lawyer. If you don't want these results to go any further than this room, they get destroyed. Oh, he said that. Yeah, Bill Miller said he that. He said, yeah, he said these are this is between you, your lawyer, and me, and the court doesn't get these unless you and your that's lawyer determine the court needs them. So that was the only that those were the conditions that she agreed to. Oh, that's so fascinating because here in Canada, like I have to say that, you know, if there's something around safety, so safety with children, safety with driving, I have to report. Right. And yeah. if the records get subpoenaed by the courts. They get shared. I've never had something where I've said this is between me, you and your lawyer and I can shred this. So it just it shows either a huge gap in my skill set in some areas I need to improve in or it shows differences in the, the legal system and the healthcare system. Right. And also I'm a medical physician. Right. So I report to the medical bodies. Uh, Bill Miller is a different kind of uh, therapist. Right. right. Uh, so some wow, interesting that, differences fasc- there. That's fascinating. Yeah. But it's, it, again, it's all the dance to get her to even to agree to do this blood work and to do these tests. And, you know, because I think she was apprehensive of getting the results. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to watch those uh, videos. Uh, I don't know, like, uh, how many hours is the training and what the cost is? Because it sounds like you can do it asynchronously, right? Yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can definitely. It, it is that type of learning. I think it's, uh, I'm not sure. I'm about halfway through. I think I've got 25, 25 hours of listening into it. So it's probably a 50-hour course. Well, you're getting a lot of CME credits from that. Like a continuing education credits uh, for that. Not that CME credits are very useful for a caseworker. No, but no, but they have like a continuing education. They have other stuff uh, as well. Yeah. And and I think in some areas, uh, it's not about uh, your designations, but whether or not you have competence in an area. And um, and for someone like you, I think the real magic uh, comes in uh, if you get to the point that you can train others in it, right? Yeah. So you may know with with addiction work, there's a lot of turnover, right? So some people will do a job for six months, one year, two years, they switch over. Your kind of consistency about seven years of regularly showing up, you know, like X number of hours a week is uh, is not, not that as common. And, and I think like uh, learning the skill, learning how to train others in the skill, uh, is going to make such a big difference in keeping people uh, around. Because uh, when you're talking about the, the patient in that uh, mock interview, I mean, it would bring up responses in me. Like, you've got someone who literally was charged with drinking and driving and has no concept about how it's affecting society, right? Right. Uh, and, Absolutely. And society. She was intoxicated and driving, which is you know, kind mean, of the elephant in the room that no one's taught. That, no. that, that was never discussed. So they, they, he, never, he never got there. Oh, to the impact on society. 
the potential. Well, yeah. well, I mean, honestly, you just, I mean, the person already sees the impact. I mean, they, they technically are going through a court case, right? Yeah, absolutely, they are. Um, and, and, you know, it's how do you find that balance of winning somebody over and also showing that But line? the danger to society is the danger she could have killed somebody. Oh, well, of course, yeah. These are, these are really big, um, big issues, you know, and the, the challenge uh, is that, you know, sometimes to win somebody uh, over, uh, you almost uh, have to be a little bit selective on the parts that you validate. I mean, if they asked me, if the person asked me directly, hey, is it okay to drink and drive? I probably would have been very direct, you know, like I would have asked for permission first, or would you like me to be honest, or do you want me to find something that's helpful? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to see how it played out. Uh, but it's, uh, and everybody I know who works in medicine, if they heard a story where someone was drinking and driving recently, they would report them to the ministry unless they were engaging in addiction treatment. I think that's the standard. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so, we, we go through those struggles in our in our RAC clinic all the time, right? Where we have to, yeah. whether and, and that whether they're engaged in treatment is a relative term too, right? Yeah. So for yeah. one physician, it's, it's residential yeah. treatment. For another physician, well, they came to RAC once in six months. That's engaging, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We should, uh, I mean, this is a very, I didn't, I didn't expect this question, but I think this is a very, very good one. And the part that impresses me the most uh, about your description of it is that you can almost feel that energy in the room around what that line is. Like when the person is going to get upset and lose it at you versus when they're sort yeah. of there. And, and it, it's so tricky because you want to be authentic. You want to win the person over, yeah. but you don't want the person to leave telling their family, like, screw you. I don't have an alcohol problem. The doctor says it's not me. It's all you. It's your fault. And it's tough because... Because, 100%. You, know, yeah, you yeah. want the person to, yes. to trust you and you want, I, like, honestly, yeah. my, my number one goal in all encounters is just get people to come back. Right. You know, because once, once they come back, once you start to build that trust, then you can sometimes almost call them on stuff or have them realize that, hey, maybe some of the choices I make are harming those around me. And yes. They're not matching with what my, uh, my goals are. But, but if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, they just may never come back. Yes. It's a very delicate... Uh, well, that's dance. right. And that third visit was sort of where that was at, right? Because it's like, do you, lead, you know, it, it, when you're calling out these results, is this going to be the last time you see her? Or is she going to continue into treatment? Or you don't want her to, as you say, you don't want her to walk out of the room and say, everything's great. It's my family's fault. Right, you know, or it's you know, it's the police's fault. It's yeah. the test's fault. The breathalyzer's broken. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I, I think I think for for me right here, the the big take homes are is that I need to remind myself of what the basic principles of motivational interviewing are, but I also need to learn a bit more about how it's played out in practice. Because when I've seen Bill Miller talk, he says, "Oh, I never do more than two or three sessions of MI because after that, then I have people do stuff, right? If they they want to." And for me, uh, because I was trained more. On well, the, maybe as he says that, sorry to interrupt, but that's maybe where it was at. Maybe that that was the third session. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So, I think, uh, and I think it was he was done at that point. Yeah, yeah. So I need to know a bit more about his uh, his model because the way that I've been uh, doing it is more on the therapy side, where you integrate it into everything. Right. And and there are signals in uh, cognitive behavior therapy literature, both for anxiety and for uh, uh, depression. People do better if you mix. Am I with CBT long term? Right. Right. Compared to not. But I think I need to become a bit more focused on the addiction assessment and then make sure that um, it's clear to the patient and whoever referred uh, whether or not the person has a significant substance use disorder. And I think I sometimes dance around that issue a bit just because I want people to come. You always want people to come back. I always want them to come back because when they, when they disappear, I don't know what's going to happen. And I've had some horror stories where like the person has their whole life together and then one session and I don't know if it's something I said or something else going on in their life. And then it's just this train wreck uh, afterwards, right? And you almost just uh, hope, at least uh, especially with the opiates, that they do come back somewhere. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's where you are or where you're not. 
you know, I would love to learn more about what your training is like. And I think you can decide if it's situations like this where it's um, an interesting thing that you're curious about, that you want to try to understand a little bit better, or you want to help me understand a little bit better. But I also think even learning how to take some of the basic concepts and help other people pick it up. Because for me, there are certain areas that... Um, I mean, I don't call myself an expert, but other people would think I'm almost an expert level in terms of teaching uh, around it. Well, but you are an NMI trainer, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did go to the, yeah. So, so maybe, maybe in some areas <laughs> I am a... By definition, I think you are an expert. Yeah, so, so, but, but I guess what I'm, yeah. What, what you I'm may saying, be a modest expert, but, yeah. but I, in every room I've been in, most people consider you to be the MI expert. Yeah, so I think the, the point that I just, I think I'm trying to make is that um, the way that I became seen as this in, in a couple of sub-areas is that I started teaching other people about it. Right. Uh, and sometimes I would teach like a resident that was in the room, sometimes teach a small group of three people, sometimes I would do a 20-person uh, caseworker, sometimes I'd create these uh, sessions, yeah. other times I'd present at provincial or national uh, conferences. And I mean, you've presented at these national conferences with me, right? I and have. And uh, you can see it's, you, you don't have to be amazing at it to help the audience just be a bit better than them, right? right? It's like to teach grade three, maybe you need grade four knowledge. I don't know. I don't know what the metaphor is. But my point is that if um, if, if educating others is something that, that interests you, um, we can try to figure out if this is a forum where you could present some of these uh, topics. Sure. Uh, but we'll, we'll figure it out. You yeah. know, I just, I, I really enjoyed this discussion and it, it really well. pointed out um, an area that I need to dive deeper into because... Uh, yeah, I'm not doing what he does for those you're not, sessions. You're not. You're not doing what he does, but the context is a little bit different. But uh, um, but, but when, yeah. I, when I see people in hospital, maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I need to see them a few times and then get them to come up with a goal. And if they're not ready, I still give them the other information. Right. But I leave it less loosey goosey. Right. Yeah. Like uh, whatever yeah. that expression means. All right. So maybe we'll stop here. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Web.